Welcome to Every Step Podcast. I'm Christina Weston. And I'm Judith Beck. Every Step is the podcast where career and life meet. With a new guest every episode, we explore the gutsy issues affecting everyone in the workplace. Today, we are joined by Liam Martin, best-selling author of Running Remote. Liam is co-founder of Time Doctor, a platform that helps companies manage remote workers as if they were in the same office. Now, it seems as if the future of of work is remote and that there really is no need for anyone to have an office. But what we're hearing is that not everyone is in agreement. We have a number of people that raise concerns. Some worry that team members are not productive, and I know, Liam, you're going to have a lot to say about that today. Others worry that people are not getting the same training as if they were in the office. When I talk about training, it's that training that we get by osmosis, that incidental learning. And we also hear from leaders that they're concerned that their induction programs and their culture building is even harder now if they're running a remote business. So, Lim, I'm sure these comments are not new to you. If organisations decide to go remote, how do we solve for these issues? Well, I think that (laughs) we don't have about 17 hours to break all that (laughs) stuff down, unfortunately. But I think there are a lot of interesting perspectives that we've seen even pop up over the last six months. So there's no doubt that there's been a negative pushback against remote work. Um, You've probably heard, I think, the exact moment where I think it shifted was Elon Musk saying people need to stop pretending to work from home and come into the office. So there's been that shift that started to occur. And I think I can nail it down to a core premise, which everyone has not really recognized yet, which is that the way that we managed workers in the 20th century is a on-premise model that doesn't necessarily correlate to the remote work model and the remote management model. Um, My perspective is that the operating system for remote work, and I actually think work in general, is asynchronous management, which we can probably get into uh, and the subject of the book that I wrote. But essentially what that allows you to do is allow for workers to be able to have the freedom and autonomy to be able to make their own decisions and basically really treat them like adults. The problem that this creates, however, is this directly targets the the slice of a company that controls most of those decisions, which is the managerial layer. So managers, uh, and and this is not something that you probably haven't heard before, um, asynchronous organizations have on average 50% of a thinner managerial layer than their on-premise counterparts, than people that don't practice asynchronous management. And they are on average significantly more successful and grow faster than their synchronous counterparts. But the problem is that we've built ourselves into a system where you have effectively managers that are delivering the result, kind of like in a big game of telephone for organizations. And this is something that worked really well in the 20th century. But now that we have the internet and project management systems and the ability for people to be able to work wherever they'd like, these are really redundant and we need to be able to evolve into a model that allows for more freedom and flexibility, not only for managers, but for employees as well. So there's no, um, you know, the technology is there. I get that. So, you know, we've got all of the tools that we need. We've got monitoring tools. We've got, you know, Slack, we've got Asana, we've got you name it. And there's a million other others out there that do all of those sorts of things. Is the biggest issue a mindset issue? Is it a mindset issue around from leaders where they've used to have, they're used to having had a kind of control and command system where they can see what's going on? And, and is it is it really a problem with the human beings in terms of not getting their head around or resisting remote? Or is it, I mean, clearly it's more complex than that. Sure. Let me answer the question by asking both of you a question. How much time do you think the average newly remote company, and newly remote means 
February of 2020, we were at 4% remote work in the United States, and we went to 45% of the remote workers in March of 2020. So a complete transformation of everything that we know with regards to remote work, society, um, all of those things. How much time do you think that people spend today on video conferencing inside of remote and hybrid teams? What percentage of their work week? I'd be saying quite a lot because we hear complaints that people are burnt out and they spend way too much time in video conferences and there are often better ways of getting things done. So I'd say, you know, 60, 70% plus would be my guess. And even mm-hmm. when they go into the office, when they do meet colleagues in the office, they say that they're still video conferencing whilst they're in the office, and right. which, which makes them think, so why am I in here? Because I've got five video conferences with people who are in other states. So what was the point? Right. Yeah, exactly. So the answer is 56%. 56% of someone's work week in an office environment, basically people that are doing digital work, is spent staring at Zoom, Google Meet, Allah above, Skype, whatever you want, Google Teams, uh, Microsoft Teams. So 56% of someone's work week is spent communicating and preparing the messaging of the other 44% that they of their work week that they spent working. This is a broken system, fundamentally. Asynchronous organizations, as an example, and I've chosen this definition because there really wasn't anyone out there, but I really had to actually look at this when I was studying all of these asynchronous orgs, is about 20% of their work week is spent on synchronous communication, like what we're doing right now. You're listening to this podcast, probably, that is asynchronous consumption of information, but we're communicating live, so that's synchronous communication and and management. Uh, So... Inside of an asynchronous model, the real key is let's get rid of you reporting to me on what I'm doing with my work week. I don't need to go into a two-hour Zoom call with you to tell you what I did when it's already in the project management system or it's already reported automatically inside of our APIs. I mean, for us, we have a weekly scorecard that we have throughout the entire organization. So everyone in the company has a quantifiable longitudinal metric that they do not actually produce that is produced by the platform. So one of the big parts of the book is the platform is the manager, not the individual. So the platform is actually what's measuring how well you're doing at the thing that we at the, the manager and the employee has set and that the employee and the manager have no input into that data. So then the manager's job is to actually solely work on the soft skills, the EQ side of that um, operation to be able to say, Judith, we're not hitting these numbers. What can we do to be able to change that? It's not whether or not I like you or uh, think that you're really funny or think that you're, you know, a fantastic person at the birthday parties or something like that. It's the cold hard facts and the numbers and then what can we do to be able to work you in that direction and we reserve almost all of our time in terms of being able to build connection and trust between team members rather than just reporting data because when you actually look at that 56 percent about 10 percent of that is reserved for connection and the other 40 plus percent is just reporting information up the chain. It's a it's a completely redundant system. I know that you had Darren Murph on your podcast, and he actually had a really good quote in the book. We put it at the very beginning. He thinks that asynchronous management is really like a Model T moment, and everyone else is riding around on horses, right? It's just the ability to be able to automatically communicate information and have the, the platform manage everyone allows for you to be able to embrace work to a level that very few people have been able to experience. Yeah. How do you how do you build trust and connectivity in a remote environment when the the times that you're actually speaking to your team is via Zoom maybe once a week or so how do you get that? How do you get that sort of human sort of um bonding that you happen happen with teams i know and i know it's dependent on the type of roles people are in as well mm-hmm. so sales environment is going to be different than the it division for example because mm-hmm. they're communi- they're communicating about different things but how 
how would you recommend to a company to then implement a, um, a, a structure or process that will embed that loyalty and trust? How do you do that? So I think the biggest, the first thing is being able to recognize that uh, everyone's in the boat together. So one of the things that we do, and this is one of the hardest pills for particularly founders and executives to swallow, but I think it's a core component of asynchronous management, is we have a policy, policy of radical transparency throughout the company and throughout most asynchronous organizations. So as an example, if you end up working inside of one of our companies, uh, we give you access to the PL, we give you access to where our customers are, we give you access to the way that the org chart works. Our goal is to give you the same informational advantage as the CEO of the company. And by doing that, what we can do is number one, it creates a massive amount of trust. So you have all the keys. There's nothing, there's no closed doors inside of this organization. If you want to actually go in and figure out what the executives are talking about every single week, we can give you access to that Asana doc, which we keep every single week in terms of the issues that we're talking about. Um, and some of them might be uncomfortable. Some of them might be, <clears throat> I don't know whether or not Judith can continue on in this company. Now, we should be talking to Judith before we actually talk about that in a, in a greater way, but it allows for everyone to be able to have access to everything. So that's the number one and cre creates a massive amount of trust. And for us, actually, even on our own reporting, We've had an attrition rate, uh, and I just got the numbers in for last week for the quarter. We have worked out to a 2.8% yearly attrition rate. And that is like absolutely ridiculous in terms of numbers. And most remote companies actually have on average a 60% lower attrition rate than their on-premise counterparts because of this mindset of trust. But the second thing that this creates, which is even more important, is it allows for people to manage themselves. If you give everyone the information that they need, if you give them all of the information inside of the company, they actually go out and they figure out solutions to their own problems. And the manager becomes significantly less important in terms of that structure. The issue again, and I wanna kind of push back on that or push back to it, is that managers don't want that to happen <laughs> uh, because they want to keep their jobs and they've just recognized that they are fundamentally redundant inside of that process where they need to be able to focus more on the EQ side. I think probably a lot more managers need to become better psychologists than necessarily measurement measurers of uh, an employee's performance. I think you know, the other thing about that. The, oh, sorry, Christina, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I think the other thing is that you need to, um, the employees, if you give them all that freedom and opportunity, you're expecting them to have an entrepreneurial mindset because what you're describing to me is if, is if I have free will and I have all this information and I, an employee, can use that information and come up with ideas and imagineer and be creative. And But most people don't have an entrepreneurial mindset. So it, you, it's, it's great to actually have that and I, I actually wonder about the positives and the negatives of all that information and to what extent it will drive behavior where people withhold information and don't put it on the asana board because they don't want things to come out so I just worry about that but I also think that not everybody has an entrepreneurial mindset to be able to leverage that freedom of information well you know what it's you absolutely are right on that one go ahead Judith it's it's probably at that situation where because I I like what you said earlier about you know the fact that there won't be you know uh, as many managers under the these new structures and you kind of think well we hire people usually at graduate level and above when they come into corporate and they're adults aren't they and they've got certain mm -hmm. backgrounds why do they need to be managed so it's kind of like as it sets a tone right right away saying that you're coming into the organization and you have to be managed because we really don't trust everything that you do. So they kind of, in my view, they they should just turn those managers, maybe have educators so that there's people mm -hmm. that, that 
new people go into and they go, well, I've got somebody who's got experience that I can go to if I need help, but I'm an adult. <laughs> I love that, Judith. I love that because that reframes it as a coach mentor as opposed to a manager because to Liam's point, we've got technology to do the management piece and there's all the data and all the insights in the world to tell you who's performing, who's not, who's yeah. productive, who's delivering on outcomes, who's not. We actually need coaches. We actually need yeah. coaches and mentors. Coaches and mentors, if they're at a certain age range, you know, they're they're graduated out of uni and they come in, they don't need to be managed. They, they should have developed those skills. And if the company goes in with their training and induction in that this role is X, Y, Z, and, you know, we have educators here that if you have questions and you need help, you can ask them, but here's your role and this is what um, we expect you to do. It's framing it differently that they're not, you know, that they're not tied to a string, you know, what, you know, they used to say, cut the, cut the apron strings from the people. At some point they've got to um, take responsibility and that, and the company has to give them that trust of doing that. I'm not sure about the Asana um, having all the information (laughs) on it for everyone to see everything um, because I wonder about, um, if there's a lot, if there's information in there that then can be used against the company at another time, if someone's not happy that, you know, Mary's not. Yeah, we've been burned before. So that that definitely happens. And it probably happens at a higher rate when you give everything to everyone. But that's, that's an issue of trusting everyone inside of the organization to say, hey, you're in, Uh, there is a bit of a process that we go through. So usually date one some uh someone in the company for about three months before they really get the keys to everything and and we have a meeting in three months which is basically the um should we all hire this person for sure for sure like is this the this is the speak now or forever hold your peace moment and if they pass that then they get in and they get access to everything else inside of the organization inside of running remote we talk about how you should have leaders and not managers and leaders kind of holistically connect to that. How are you doing? What can I do to be able to get you to that next level? Because fundamentally for us, if you're a leader or a manager, your team is a reflection of you, right? You're not supposed to actually uh, do anything. If you're a manager, you're supposed to be able to manage other people that are supposed to do that particular thing. So that's really important. And then another part of this that kind of opens up to probably a separate kettle of fish is individual contribution versus management. There has been a perception that the fastest way to grow throughout an organization is to be a manager. And that's another metric that we personally measure very specifically. Uh, Even the CEO of the company, my business partner, Rob, has to be a 40% individual contributor. Uh, So we actually try to keep individual so the the relationship between management and individual contribution um, is about 80 20 so 20 percent management 80 percent individual contributor and we also create paths for people that can be incredibly successful but they don't manage anyone they are fundamentally individual contributors because we don't necessarily need as many managers inside of the organization so you actually have to open up those opportunities whereas in basically the rest of the 20th century um, management has been the way that you grow throughout an organization which i think is a broken model yeah it's really interesting in terms of how we think about careers and i keep being reminded that we're now going through what is probably the equivalent of the industrial revolution of our time in terms of workplace and with all the technology that we have and with the radical the swiftness of this change brought on by the pandemic it's it's just fascinating to think about where this can go. And we're just at the beginning of the journey. We're still trying to create. We're still going down paths that don't work. And then we're trying other things that work splendidly. And I think it's important to remember that we're just at the beginning of this new creative um, phase of well, what does work really look like and what does being an employee really look like and what does my career path, because you're spot on, Liam, it was like you come in, as an you know you come in as a as a graduate and then there's this path and you know the steps that you're going to take but that could well mm-hmm. be thrown out the window yeah i think one of the critical steps is well when can i tell someone what to do 
That's a big one, right? <laughs> Everyone loves that step. When can I tell someone else what to do? And I think that that's fundamentally a broken model. And and you're actually, so the other piece that, you know, I wouldn't have even talked about six months ago, but is incredibly relevant now is if you thought measurement of work was, um, was precise before large language learning models, holy crap, in the next six months, you're going to completely change. Like we're going through a Cambrian explosion with regards to how to measure the effectiveness of a worker inside of an organization. Within, I would say within the next 18 months, there will be an AI assistant that will help you with work. It will tell you what you're doing great. It will tell you what you need to improve on. It will tell you if you just change these 15 minutes of your workday, you're actually going to be able to get 40% more output as an example. Or if you talk to this person, not at 2 p.m., but if you talk to them at 3.30, you may actually improve their productivity by 30 or 40%. So there's going to be this huge shift that's going to occur yeah. in work. And that is going to further reduce the need for managers because fundamentally, again, the platform is going to be the manager and that's going to include artificial intelligence. Yeah, And the leadership team creates that governance. But sorry, Liam, will we be able to get that AI to do our job for us as well as giving us advice? I mean, where will that I, I think that, yeah, so I don't think an AI is going to replace you. I think a person using AI will probably replace you. So that's just the next thing that you need to learn is you need to understand. I mean, when you looked at um, uh, secretary pools, right, versus the personal computer, um, that was the end of the secretary pool. But the, the same information was typed up. It was just more efficient. Yeah, so that's the next evolution that's going to occur. And there are going to be so many other opportunities inside of artificial intelligence, like the next... Well, you can never tell what's going to happen over the next 10 years. Based off of most people's assessment, AI will become, we'll be able to have a, a general artificial intelligence within the next 10 years. That you can't really measure. So a general uh, artificial intelligence is an artificial intelligence that is generally as intelligent as the average person that you work with inside of an organization. So at that point, there might be a lot of impact towards the, um, towards the jobs that we do today. But within the next five to 10 years, I think people are going to just have to adapt to using artificial intelligence. I mean, I use ChatGPT every day yeah, inside of the company and, and I'm sure everyone else does as well. And we've actually told our staff if you can become, if you can make an aspect of your job redundant and we can basically hand it off to an AI, uh, we will give you the entire amount of that lost salary as a reward. So basically, let's say that you have a $100,000 job and you can automate 50% of your job. We'll give you 50 grand as a reward to be able to implement that. And then we'll give you something more interesting to do. So really kind of encouraging people to say, we now need to be the, the maestros of these artificial intelligence systems. We don't necessarily need to be doing the drudgery. Uh, I was putting together slide decks today as an example. Uh, they're not quite there yet, but I could see within the next year, I, I could basically just feed in 30 or 40 of my YouTube videos say, I would like you to make me a slide deck about this particular subject. Here's a brief about it, and it will probably be able to produce something fantastic. I think the clever thing, the clever thing and the challenge with things like ChatGPT, and I love ChatGPT, you still need domain experience. You still need to know what you're talking about um, because mm -hmm. there is still that, that error rate. And you can't just cut and paste. So that doesn't mean just because you've got ChatGPT or AI that you don't have to have that deep, knowledge because you still need to have conversations with people. You still need to be able to answer questions. You still need to be able to engage with people and make the complex sound easy. But yeah, chat, I, I love working with ChatGPT. There's so many efficiencies there just in terms of copywriting and all of those sorts of things. It's brilliant. Yeah, I've been, uh, there is a, inside of ChatGPT, because I've written so much content, I can now say, write me an email 
write me a response to this particular email, but write it in the style of Liam Martin from Time Doctor and Running Remote, and it gets me perfectly. Yep. So I've just given that prompt to my entire team, and they now all speak in my voice, all the communication, because, and I probably have pulled six or seven hours of my work week yeah. out of my work week because I can just have ChatGPT do it, which is, which is pretty amazing. And, um, and when that did happen, I definitely had an existential moment where I thought to myself, I spent 10 years of my life getting good at copywriting. Oh, no. I'm a pretty good copywriter. And ChatGPT just obliterated me in 20 seconds, right? Because we actually ran an experiment where we ran a split test between ChatGPT's version of what it thought I should say and me saying it, and uh, ChatGPT beat me. So I realized at that point it's over, and uh, I might as well just hand that over to ChatGPT. See, I'm 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 the devil's advocate here, folks, because <laughs> because I like it for some things, but I I I wonder whether or not some of those things are are making us a little lazy in the way that there's a book I don't know if you've ever seen this book. It's called Wabi Sabi, and it's part of the Ikigai in the the books, and it's about embracing imperfections, and and you know, as a writer myself, I. I don't know. I, 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 Christina and I have talked about this and I say, I won't use it. <laughs> I use it. Christina I just send things it. to Judith and say, hey, ChatGPT, help Chat me rephrase this. <laughs> which is, which is fine, you know, things like, you know, marketing stuff and that kind of stuff. But then I think I like the fact that I have to think about what I'm writing in there and I know it's not going to be perfect. And I know ChatGPT can do it <laughs> a lot better. And, but it's, it's, uh, it does scare me when you say that. It can then write in your own way because you think, oh, my God, what could what else could people do down the track to imitate you and and say this is, you know, chat to chat GDP, go and write a book about X, Y, Z. And then it can do that already. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, those things well, even and I know it's progression and I know I need to get over it and move with the times. <laughs> there are things that I do, you know, worry about sometimes even scarier for me was about a month after uh, the running remote book came out, we started asking ChatGPT some questions about the book and it gave a fantastic analysis of what are the drawbacks of asynchronous work? Uh, what, what would you, what were the, what are the counter arguments towards asynchronous management and how you can implement it? And the, she, the, the AI was using the book because it had already analyzed that book, I have no idea how it ended up getting access to it because we were using GPT-4. But it's able to, to just kind of look at all of this data and absorb it. So I actually think the biggest part that it won't nail is innovation. So it knows how to write in my voice, perfect. But what am I going to do next, right? So, uh, what are truly, I actually think that the 0.1% of creatives are going to be free to do whatever they want. Uh, we, even in the company, we've had our engineering team using ChatGPT and all of the drudgery that you have to do inside of engineering is gone. Now they can just focus on, well, what's the creative concept that we really wanna be able to approach here? And they just focus on that. Um, and the, the five or six hours that they were spending per day in terms of preparing the, the details to be able to do something interesting that maybe would have taken them an hour. It's now, you know, a one hour task instead of a seven hour task. So it's incredibly exciting for them as well. And I just think more interesting ideas are being produced because the boring ones can be handled by ChatGPT. So if we're going to have all this extra time, let's project forward. If we're going to have all this extra time, and I know this has been talked about for past decades as well, that people were predicting that we'd have more leisure time and we wouldn't be working so many hours a week. Do you think with this freeing up of efficiency that there will be people applied to doing more interesting things? Or do you think the working week is likely to get shorter and people will have more leisure time? Or do you think from a career yeah. perspective, people will have multiple jobs because they can do two jobs now rather than one and get paid twice? Where do you see it going? Yeah. I think people will probably be working as much, if not more. We live in a capitalist society. So anything that you can add in to that throughput is just going to allow you that the reality is that it's going to get a lot more difficult 
the the requirements of everyone will be significantly higher. Whereas a year ago, I might only have to produce 20 widgets per week. Now I have to produce 200 because that's the new normal. But I'm using these large language um, models to be able to actually execute on that. I mean, every single time we've implemented technology, it hasn't made our lives, it's made our lives easier, but it hasn't made our lives less stressful. That is absolutely positively not going to happen. And anyone that thinks that it does is smoking something. Because if you show me one single instance of technology reducing stress, I mean, it, it just doesn't happen. Even um, I'm having one of my, uh, my house renovated um, up here in, uh, in Canada. And we were talking about how we don't have a washer and dryer because they're installing the washers and dryers next week. And the amount of time that you lose by not having a washer and dryer, by actually having to go to like a laundromat and do laundry, it's an afternoon of your day to be able to go out and do that, right? As opposed to just putting it in a machine. But now because everyone else has machines in their houses, that's just the new normal. So I don't have the time to be able to go out to a laundromat and do that. And I'm at a disadvantage because I just don't have that, that, that productivity booster fundamentally. So it's going to improve our productivity for sure. It's not going to reduce our stress. We're just going to have to put out more stuff faster, which is, again, neither good nor bad. It's just what it is. It's just what it is. How do you prevent people from living at work instead of working from home? Because we often hear mm. a lot of people saying that they're actually working longer because, you know, they're, they see their offices aren't exactly in an office like what I'm in now. They're out in the yeah. open, maybe on a counter or the dining room table or whatever. And then they're continually thinking about it where there's no breakaway. Does that, does that, mm -hmm. you know, how does a company, I guess the question is, how does a company make sure that that doesn't happen and what kind of things can they put in place to prevent it? So I, I really like the program that France implemented, which is you can't actually message an employee past their working hours. Um, that was a law that was implemented about two and a half years ago, which I don't think you're actually going to get adoption throughout the rest of the Western world. I have an interesting, I mean, it, it's it's great for employees. Maybe it's not so great for employers. Uh, personally, what we do in the company is I don't have any of my work um, apps on my personal devices. So I only have my work applications on my work computer, my iPad. I just use solely for kind of relaxing and entertaining and socializing. And it's a, it's a little bubble that sits away from my work life. Whereas on my computer, which is what I'm talking to you guys on right now, that is completely work focused. So there are no, there is no social media, there is no TikTok or anything like that. That's kind of like, I create a very clear barrier between those two spaces. The other thing that I implement is Time Doctor. So when I sit down, I actually start, I break down my task list of what I'm going to do at the beginning of the day. And I click start on that first task throughout the day. And it has somewhat of a, um, what is the the social experiment where um, you have the, the ringing of the bell and the dog Pavlov's, ends up drooling. Pavlovian. Yes, it's a very Pavlovian trigger for me where I begin my day I work through my work day and then I end my day, I shut down time doctor and it's over. Other people do things like if they work from home, when they start working, they put on their shoes and when they stop working, they take them off. So these little kind of mental tricks that you can have inside. For me, I also have an office. When I go into my office and I close the door, I am at work. Um, if my wife wants to actually contact me, even though she's at the other side of the house, she has to message me about it. it because it's very much for me i'm trying to create that barrier between my work life and my social life the other point that i would also mention is it's true that people do work longer uh, most of the data has shown that they work about an hour and 15 minutes more working remotely versus working inside of an office however they're not calculating the commute time uh, which is about 96 minutes so it's a net gain in terms of that and a average workday 
for a remote worker or a distributed worker. There are lots of things that they do throughout that workday that aren't super focused on work. So they might actually take a much longer lunch break, but that's included inside of most of the analyses that I've seen. So people will take like a 65 minute lunch break as opposed to a 45 minute lunch break, or they might walk the dog in the afternoon, those types of things, which actually significantly impacts um, their overall stress levels. So the biggest data set on uh, remote work, which is run by Brian Elliott from Future Forum, who we had on for the previous Running Remote in Lisbon, he showed that on average, the remote worker was experiencing 26% less stress than their on-premise counterparts. And the funny thing too, is we talk about a lot of these, these things like remote work isn't good for culture. Remote work isn't um, good for productivity. Remote work isn't good for training. I know that that's one of the questions that you guys had. I look at the data a lot. None of these data sets are actually collecting true unbiased information. Uh, there are about four that I really pay attention to. Brian Elliott from Future Forum is one of them. And the data is very clear with him is it increases productivity. Um, workers are less stressed. They're happier. And they end up actually learning faster if you implement the right training programs for remote workers. So I get very frustrated. I just came off of a podcast earlier today where um, they played the the Elon Musk talking about how remote work is morally wrong and then asked me to debate between two or three other guys. And I was just like, what am I supposed to say for morally wrong? So we, we've wrong. talked about all of the quantifiable measures. Yeah. Elon Musk said remote work is morally wrong, morally wrong. And I thought to myself, well, what's left for me to say to that? I, that that's nothing. I mean, it's, it's like arguing religion. Does, you know, does the afterlife exist or not exist? I don't know. But, you know, that's your perspective and you work on, you have your perspective and I have my perspective. But I can tell you by every quantitative measure that I've been able to analyze, I've looked at 27 large-scale studies over the last two years, 26 of them have said that remote work is, uh, on average, improving workers' productivity, and one was basically saying it's a wash. You know, that's the that's the clear data that I'm seeing, and I'm seeing a whole bunch of stuff in the press that says abs the absolute opposite, but then when you actually look for the sources, there are none. Um, so it's, it's, it's almost conspiratorial, yeah. to be completely honest with you. Go ahead. Are you seeing any information on mental health? Because that's another thing that comes up. We we hear this issue that there's a cohort that doesn't really want to get up, dress up, show up, and and that there's a real worry around management of mental health. Does any of the data that yeah. you're seeing speak to that? So there's two interesting uh, data sets that I've looked at. One of them is the impact of work flexibility on culture and connection. So remote and hybrid workers are 50%, 57% more likely to say their company culture has improved over the last two years once they've switched to remote or hybrid. And these workers are 14% more likely to say they feel very connected with their direct manager or executive leader when they are working remotely. The other part of this is sense of belonging. Um, I know that that's a major piece that everyone's trying to be able to work towards. And there's really interesting data that comes out of this. From May 2021 to November 2022, this is a data set of 10,766 employees. 43% increase in sense of belonging for Black respondents, 21% increase for Hispanic or Latino respondents, 2% increase for white respondents and 2% increase for Asian respondents. So what that tells me is if you're a minority, you really like remote work. And if you're not, it doesn't really matter. And the reason why that matters is inside of remote organizations and particularly inside of asynchronous organizations, our biases are removed. So your gender is removed, your your sexuality is removed, your, your racial background is removed. And this is shown time and time again, women rise faster throughout remote organizations than on-premise ones. Minorities rise faster throughout remote organizations than on-premise ones. So if you want to be able to develop a fully featured 
organization with a lot of different opinions and concepts coming in, remote and particularly asynchronous remote is by far the best model that you can implement. And it's um, it just seems to be the opposite. <laughs> and no one's actually shown me the data set yet. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the thing that I think the one thing to probably remember here is um, flexibility and one size doesn't fit all and companies need to um, look at what their structure is and what's good for their organization, what's good for the, the employees, how to get the best talent and what and listen mm-hmm. to what their employees want and, um, mm-hmm. you know, design their organizations to maybe get the best of both worlds in some way, but to give that flexibility. Because you're, you're right, we know that when flexibility is offered, um, women do rise more to the top because they do then have those opportunities that they can access mm-hmm. when they're um, taking care of their children as well. They have that flexibility. And a lot of companies were offering really good flexibility prior to COVID, which was great and having mm-hmm. working from home. So it became very, very important. So flexibility is important, but I know we're getting to the end of our time, but I, we, we there's a question that I thought was is really appropriate for this. And we do a um, uh, every step Q and A where we ask the audience to send questions in and they send them in and then Christina mm-hmm. and I answer them on LinkedIn. But there, this one, I thought I'll ask it because it's really appropriate okay. to what we're doing. So this person, um, says, I started a new job and I went through an online induction. Induction. I've had one meeting with my new boss via Zoom, but uh, when I got into the role, it was harder to ask questions because I couldn't just casually say, what about this or what about that? And then when I did send mm-hmm. a note, sometimes I wouldn't, uh, I didn't get an answer for two, there was a two day delay, which put me behind my project. How do I prevent this? Um, in the in the future, how do I get past this? I guess it's probably goes with people who are working from home and they do their inductions. We hear this all the time. So what what do you think mm-hmm. this person should do to try to get that line of communication going so it doesn't doesn't prevent them um, from moving forward with, the, well, with their I think the core premise that they weren't necessarily touching on, which I would I immediately went to, is it sounds like their manager is the bottleneck. So that person needs to get information from their manager in an environment in which you can get access to everything that should be written down somewhere. Whatever question you have, the platform should be able to answer. So inside of our organization, as an example, there are answers to everything that you could possibly think of. If you want to learn how to sign your email signature, there's a document that you can look at to be able to get access to that type of information. So we have a perspective, which is never ask a manager something unless you've spent five minutes looking for that answer yourself. And the problem inside of most newly remote organizations is they just simply don't have that documentation in place. So the biggest thing would be make sure that you have a culture of documentation so that you can actually get answers from those people. But the other part of this too is it sounds like that's also not a very good manager. Um, If someone is not actually responding to a question uh, for a new onboarding, that's something that I would also address directly with that manager. And or maybe you probably doesn't sound like that's a very um, successful position for you long. I, I hate to kind of just take that perspective on it. But the reality is that if I've onboarded someone, um, my entire focus is on them as, and, and I will slowly remove my attention from that particular worker as we move forward in time. But then I'll constantly be doing check-ins saying, do you want me to keep bothering you? Are you good? How are you doing? What can you, you know, what more can we do to be able to help you? And I'm now at a point now where my direct reports it's not a conversation about the numbers at all. The numbers are actually already there. And the conversation is about how do we hit better numbers? Um, how do we, you know, how do we, how do we move this forward to the next level? Not necessarily whether or not you're you're hitting your targets or you're not hitting your targets. Because if everything is set up properly and you have all of the answers to your questions, I, I fundamentally believe that. Um, this is a uh, Cal Newport was 
really a big inspiration for writing my book. And he wrote um, a lot of really great books on, on productivity. And his perspective is that the, it's the job of any single person inside of an organization to focus on having everything in front of them to be able to accomplish hard problems. So really at the end of the day, any corporation can be boiled down to you're an innovation machine. How can you come up with a better mousetrap than anyone else? So what we've done is we've tried to focus the entire organization on that. How can we make everyone as innovative or give everyone the ability to be as innovative as humanly possible? It sounds like this particular person did not necessarily have that. Um, they should probably go and get the uh, manager of my book and uh, have them read it. I love and, that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that's maybe the, the short version of that. Go get the manager to read the book. Uh, I'll jump on a call with him for half an hour and we'll be able to figure it out. Perfect. Katrina, your final thoughts? Oh, gosh. I, I think we keep coming back to the same kind of advice is that if you're going to be a remote organisation, you need to do it with intention. And if you're going to do it with intention, mm -hmm. you need to have people that are there helping you to design the processes, the infrastructure, the technology, the tools, and also the culture that you need. And it's things right. like Liam, you've just been talking about the responsiveness. We've got the tools, we've got Slack, we've got Teams, we've got a million things, but you've just got to create the right culture and the right understanding um, to make sure we support people and nurture them and help them to be the best that they can be and create the innovation um, that we all want to do. But it's all about intention and then the support systems and the framework. The technology's there. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think just to... To finalize this person's um, question, because we're not sure what kind of environment they're in, they could be in a sales environment, and it could be a question about a conversation that they had with um, a potential client that's not necessarily going to be on a platform. So the, the answer that I would give this person is that you had a Zoom meeting with your boss. At the end of that first Zoom meeting, the, um, after you've had your induction, you should say to your boss, I am going to have more than likely lots of questions early on. What is the best way to communicate with you where I can get an answer right away? Is it via text? Is it via Slack? Is it via email? Because this is a sales type role or a role that needs, maybe they're in a project. It's a role that I need instant answers and I may have that. Communicate, get, the, get your boss to commit that they will respond to you because then they've given you that undertaking. And that way, if you don't hear after uh, 12 hours or when you've sent, send another one, send another one. Say, look, I need to have an answer on this because again, you don't need to be managed. <laughs> you need to be educated. So take the responsibility well, it, for your role. Yeah, another part of this is uh, our second value inside of our company is something called self-guided missile. So. We And another uh, really good example of this, there's an internet meme called Draw the Owl. And uh, it's step A, draw five lines. Step B, it's a completely finished owl. And it says, draw the rest of the effing owl, which is you actually need to figure out how to get from A to B. And it's up to you in terms of like your execution, however you would like to be able to do it to produce outcomes inside of the organization. If you're not getting that from the manager, then do it though. My, my perspective is don't ask me what to do. Tell me what you did. 99% of things can be reversed within 48 hours. If you came to me and you did something that I was thought was absolutely insane, I actually had that happen about a month ago. Uh, someone decided to remove trials from Time Doctor. So they ran a split test in which they completely removed trials. And we do about 6,000 trials per month. And I got like 45 angry emails in about four minutes on this split test. And I ran over and I said, what the heck is going on? The website might be shut down. Oh no, I started a split test. Reverse that decision. Thank you very much for trying, for, for doing something, for taking that jump, but we need to be able to reverse that decision. But the vast majority of the time, the person that's closest to the problem actually has the best tactical information in order to be able to solve it. Um, so do it and just go ahead, try it. 
99% of the time, I'm going to give you a gold star. And don't be scared about making an incorrect move because we want to be able to reinforce activity, not just whether or not you did it right or wrong. Right. Hey, Leon, what, what are you going to do when they say, when they come back and say, but the AI made me do it. They told me to do it. <laughs> well, then we got to go after the AIs and figure out, you know, <laughs> yeah, That's I actually need domain be... experience. That's why you still need domain experience. Yeah, absolutely. I yes. think, I think within five years, you'll actually probably start to see some corporate espionage with regards to AIs as well. Oh. Um, AIs that are built to be able to, take down other companies very specifically it's going to be a wild new world and everyone just needs to understand this because the genie is fundamentally out of the bottle yeah. and that they need to start preparing for that now don't they they really need to start thinking forward that this could happen this could happen can, so let's try to uh, alleviate i can share something with you that was that was terrifying to me a very close friend of mine um had a was something left a voicemail with his private bank saying, hey, this is Liam. Can you transfer $540,000 into this account with his private bank? And you can make a phone call with private banking and you can get that done. It wasn't him. It was an AI that was replicating his voice. Oh. This is coming. This is here today. It's here. It's here. It's here. So you need to be able to think about where this is going to happen, how this is going to unravel on top of itself. Because I think, honestly, Sam Altman, six months ago, dropped a nuclear weapon on us. And we just, we haven't even recognized how big of an impact it was. I've been doing remote work for, well, almost 20 years. And I love it. Um, nowhere near as impactful as artificial intelligence has been in the last six months. And I just, no one really recognizes how big of a shift it's going to create for work. But inside of that, there's going to be massive opportunity as well. So that's why I'm very excited. Wow, that is unbelievable. Well, we, we, um, we'll just have to wait and see, I guess. <laughs> but it has Absolutely. been absolute pleasure speaking to you we could talk about this all day long because there's so many different questions and and things to think about and um i think probably at the end of the day we can all agree that um remote work is not going anywhere it's the way of the future and as companies they just need to look at what is the best way for their organizations and for the employees as well and for um, their own productivity and, um, and and try to come to some kind of happy medium. So thank you so much. And I hope everybody goes out and, and buys your book, Running Remote. And um, we look forward to speaking to you again. Yeah, thank thanks you. for having me. And if anyone has any questions, just go to runningremote.com. And if you want to try out Time Doctor, go to timedoctor.com. Fantastic. Thanks a lot. Thank you. For more information about every step and our guests, head to everysteppodcast.com. To be notified of new podcasts, please subscribe via your favourite listening platform. And of course, follow us on social media and direct message us to share your ideas about guests or topics.